Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. Find out more at InsideMusicCast.com. From all of us at Inside MusicCast, thank you for your support. Growing up in Queens, Lionel Cordu was surrounded by music inside his home, in his neighborhood, and in church. His brothers were all involved in music. His mother sang in the gospel choir in the church where his father was the minister, and his neighborhood hosted block parties where cats like Lenny White, Stanley Clark, Marcus Miller, Omar Hakim, Najee, and many others would often play. Lionel absorbed and adapted to many styles of music, which he's used to his benefit throughout the course of his career. And he's recorded and toured with a diverse list of musicians, including Mike Stern, Gino Vanelli, Jeff Lorber, Roberta Flack, Bill Evans, Chuck Loeb, Cieli Minucci, Wayne Krantz, and in 2015, he replaced Lee Pearson as the drummer in the legendary jazz group Spira Gyra. Here to discuss his musical journey in more depth is none other than Lionel Cordu. Hey, Lionel, thanks for joining us today. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Yeah, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I met you last year in Indianapolis at the Jazz Kitchen. You were here with, well, you were here twice. You were here with Spyro Gyra the first time, and then I met you when you came back through with, uh, with Jeff Lorber and Jimmy Haslip. So um, we've been wanting to, to get this scheduled for a long time, so I'm glad we finally have you here. Yes, yes, my pleasure. Hey, Lionel, you know, you were you were raised in Queens, New York, and we all know, you know, some of the great musicians that came out of that borough, guys like, you know, James Brown and Illinois Jacquette and Miles Davis, Louis Armstrong, Ella, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, Lenny White, Marcus Miller, Omar Hakim, and so many others. And, you know, how young were you when you really started digging music? I mean, you, you grew up in such an, a musically influential place. <laughs> yeah, well, I have four older brothers and three of my brothers were into music and that's that's how I got into it. Uh, my parents always had my brother's band rehearse in our house. That way they knew where everyone was and they knew all their friends and that's how I started. Almost every day or at least three days a week there was a band rehearsing in our house. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I bet your parents loved that though. They were musical though. They probably did did love that though, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. When it came to me, like when my brothers moved out of the house and I was a teenager by then, um, I don't know how they dealt with me playing the drums every single day. <laughs> <laughs> were you the youngest one? Yes. Well, yeah. that's it, man. The youngest yeah. one always gets away with everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, God. Well, you know, there's something that happened. And, you know, I talked about all those great players that came out of there. But you also had something that I, I read about um, growing up in your area, these, these block parties that you experienced when you were young and all these amazing musicians that you witnessed at just walking down the street. T talk to us about those block parties and how those came together and, and yeah. what you got from those. Oh, it was amazing. Um, the, like, there were a couple of block parties that just blew me away. Uh, there was one in Laurelton, uh, which is a little south of where I am. 
I rode my bike up there. Some friends of mine told me there was a block party, and I saw Lenny White. Stanley Clark was there. Wow. Wow. Marcus Miller was there. (laughs) Bernard Wright was there. Bernard and I are about the same age. So I was like 12 or 13 when Uh I heard him play the piano. It scared me <laughs> at how great he was. At, at that age, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, wow. it was unbelievable. And um, I was so shy. I mean, I knew who Omar Hakim was because I knew his dad. And I had seen Omar play and he was there. And I just basically just sat on my bike for two hours <laughs> and just listened to them play. You know, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we mentioned your brothers a second ago and you obviously played with those guys. Can you name them for us and tell us what instruments they played? Because none of them played drums, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, my oldest brother that played, his name is Gene Cordu, and um, okay. and under him, the bass player in the family was Harry. And then my brother Eddie, that's three years older than me, Eddie played bass and guitar. We actually all play bass, drums, and guitar, all of us. Okay. And some keys. My oldest brother, Gene, is a great keyboardist. He uh, lives in Virginia, and he's retired. He And um, he's an organist in a church, in several churches down there. But he was the keyboardist. And I just came up um, watching all of them, and that's how I started playing guitar and, and bass and and keyboards just yeah. from watching them, yeah. Well, you know, you've mentioned that as a kid, you used to listen— uh, to them and, and play as a kid as they played in the basement and, and the the drum set there, I guess there was a drum set that was left at your house by another friend of your brother's do you remember the f- the feeling of uh, of watching learning and, and imitating them and and uh, I guess it was pretty advantageous that they left a drum set there <laughs> well my brother and my mother said that I used to sit on the steps and airplay the drums Uh and they said that's how i started playing left-handed because i was mimicking like a mirror image oh yeah Uh, of the drummer the drummer the drummer his name is tommy green tommy actually gave me my first drum set (laughs) okay yeah that's cool so you were mirroring what you saw so you 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 look you know obviously the guy was a right-handed drummer but you were you were seeing that you were mimicking that with the same hand that was right across from it. So you were playing with your left, right? Yes. yes. I see. Interesting. That's interesting. interesting. <laughs> Talk a little bit about something where we all know that great musical careers have started, and that's in church. So you played with your brothers in church in in, in Queens uh, when you were young. Tell us about you know that time uh, when you were getting your chops. You know because hey, in church there's so many great musicians that get their started there. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents wouldn't let us play unless we played in church on Sunday. So whatever (laughs) we did, like, I wasn't gigging then, but uh, my brother Eddie was in a band, Mm -hmm. and, like, he would get home at 2 in the morning, and, like, he had to be up by (laughs) 8 o'clock to go play in church. And, like, like, that's where I got my chops because— Several of the guys that my brother Eddie played with, they played in the band, and they played in the band in church. So I got a chance to play with my brother Eddie's friends, 
in church and they, you know, would get on me about playing grooves this way and that way and don't speed up and don't play too loud. And like they used to get on me all the time and it kind of <laughs> shaped how my approach yeah. to, to playing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They were your first teachers, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I was curious, just thinking about, you know, you guys very young and, and playing together with your brothers. What, what kind of music were you playing? What, what was it that, you know, you guys were laying down at such an early age? Oh, Return to Forever. Really? Yeah, wow. man. Lenny White yeah. and Billy Cobham were my idols. Like My brother Gene gave me uh, the Billy Cobham Spectrum record and said, wow. if you want to be a drummer, this is who you should listen to. Wow. That's sort of blowing. That's sort of blowing our mind because we would have thought an answer like, "Well, I was listening to more pop music or some soul or yeah, some R and B, that kind of stuff." But you're you're, you're going mainstream uh, jazz, you know? Yes, totally, wow. totally. <laughs> like Billy Cobham was my idol. I mean, yeah. and um, and of course, you said you had Stanley Clark and Lenny White there in the neighborhood playing at these block parties. Jeez. Well, Stanley one time, Lenny, like I mean, the other thing about those guys too were like they were always on the road like Lenny was always on the road like I hardly got to see Lenny but I did see him a couple of times Mm -hmm. but Nard Bernard Wright we call him Nard um, (laughs) there was this place in Queens this club called the Village Door Mm -hmm. and like there were a bunch of guys that used to play down there and I would go down there and and hang with them. But like I said, I I was terrified of Bernard Wright and his friends because they were playing so advanced. Like when we were like 15 years old, they were Mm -hmm. playing straight ahead tunes and soloing and it was just amazing. And and I didn't get that then. Like it took me a couple more years to really understand the form of of jazz and twelve bar blues and the and um, yeah yeah that that kind of stuff yeah some advanced stuff so yeah it didn't I mean it's amazing to know that those guys were were so good at such a young age it's it's yeah. mind blowing yeah you know I'm really curious talking about education I'm really curious about the music program that you were involved with that was I guess it was sponsored by local musician a local musicians union. And I guess the educators were some of the staff from like the Manhattan School of Music and and even Juilliard. I mean, what an incredible resource this had to be for you and other kids in that area. Yeah, I mean, it took me into the classical side of music. Like I actually, Mm -hmm. when I got went to college, I wanted to be a timpanist. I wanted to play at the Met. Hmm. Okay. I wanted to be a symphonic musician. Um. I studied timpani and snare drum and mallets. And uh, my teacher at that time was a guy named Jim Price. He was uh, the second chair at the Met. And he taught at Manhattan School of Music. And he he gave private lessons through this program that I got into, sponsored by the Musicians Union. And I got to go see a couple of concerts at the Met, and it just it just blew me away. Interesting. And then something else I, I learned about you is that you know you and your family are you're from Barbados. Um, oh, that's where your family's from. And I know that Caribbean music is something that's part of your DNA. Did you grow up with that? And and how did that kind of help shape you? Um, 
you know, the funny thing, I mean, we never played Caribbean music. I mean, we mm -hmm. used to go to Barbados every other year when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but I would just swim all day, every day. <laughs> That's all I <laughs> yeah. wanted to do. And, yeah. and, and uh, we could do that because my mother was a school teacher, so she mm -hmm. had the summers off. And my dad would usually come, like we would go for three weeks to a month, and my dad would come for like the last two weeks. But mm -hmm. all I did was swim. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to Barbados, I'm just going to chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so while you were in school, you know, um, you know, when you set out as a, you know set out as a budding musician, and and after your education, you were starting to play some gigs, and and um, we know that your first break came along with uh, you know with a band called uh, Primo with Dean Brown and, and Schuler Deal. Yeah, um, Skyler Deal. Yeah, Skyler yeah, Deal. Yeah, Skyler. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, this seemed uh, to open doors for you. Tell, talk to us about this uh, this time and this gig with them. Uh, well, I was playing with this guitarist in Long Island. Uh, his name was L uh, Little Buster. Little Buster mm -hmm. was a blind guitarist. He was amazing. And Dean Brown mm -hmm. loved Little Buster. Little Buster was a singer. He could sing his ass off, and he was a great guitarist. And and that's how I met... Well, well, well actually, the first time I met Dean was at a Billy Cobham concert, because Dean and... Dean played with Billy and I saw them at the bottom line and I spoke to Dean, but I didn't know that he lived out in Long Island. He came down one night we were playing in Long Island and then we reconnected and then Skyler and Dean asked me to join their band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we've also, you know, we've, we've interviewed a lot of drummers over the years, you know, but many of them of who you're familiar with, the last names, you know, Gad, Pretty, Keltner, Phillips, Ferraro. And, and you know, they have their own styles. And me and me and Rick were talking about that uh, a little earlier as to how you might describe your style of playing. I know that you're very adaptive and you can play almost anything and shift. But are you technical? Are you more about the feel? I mean, how do you describe your approach in drumming? Well, I mean, it's all about the feel because, I mean— what I started to learn at an early age was that people can't describe the feel that they want. They could tell you what to play. They could give you a pattern. Yeah. But with drums, it all comes down to the feel. And I, luckily, I started to figure that out. And then as time went on, one of the most important things became your time. You can't speed up. You can't mm -hmm. slow down. I mean, to be a drummer today, you have to be able to understand different feels, how to play a funky kind of feel, how to play uh, a Latin feel. I mean, you were talking about uh, Jim Keltner today. I went on my mm -hmm. walk and, and I was listening to Tom Petty and... Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Jim Keltner, like he was like a modern day John Bottom to me. Like he had mm -hmm. a big, beautiful, comfortable feel. And that's what I try to do. I mean, it's it's hard, but 
that's my goal is just to make it feel good, you know. That's yeah. my job, you know. Exactly. Hey, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show that uh, I caught a, a recent Spyro Gyra show last year, and, and uh, I noticed when I was when I was at the gig, I was watching you play, and I noticed that you play left-handed, but I think I learned later that you're actually right-handed by, by nature. Is this right? Yes. I, I play all musical instruments left-handed. I play guitar yeah. and bass left-handed. Wow. So, I mean, you kind of answered this earlier, but, you know, about how you learned how to play left-handed. It was, you know, mirroring the drummer you were watching. But did, did that feel like a natural progression for you to, even though you're right-handed, then musically, though, everything is left-handed. That's such an interesting, you know, that's that's so curious. Well, the first person that presented it as a problem was when I first started taking private lessons. I studied with a guy named Walter Perkins. Uh-huh. He, here in Queens. And I mean, Walter told me, he said, look, I don't know what you think is going to happen, but if you go out to sit in somewhere, nobody's going to change the drum set around. So, so he, so he made me practice for like six or eight months right-handed. So, so that I could sit in. Okay. Because he said the only way people are going to know who you are or like what you play like is if you go to clubs and sit in at jam sessions. <laughs> yeah. So he made me do it. And that's how I started getting gigs, playing right-handed. Okay. And then when I would show up on the gig with my set, that's when I would play left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And so you, can you still switch? Is you're, you're sort of a, uh, in, the, in baseball terms, you're sort of a switch hitter then. Yes, yes. Actually, <laughs> um, um, on the last Spiral Tour, we did a television show in Rome, and I played right-handed. Okay. Because it would have been too much of a hassle to switch the drums yeah. around. So I just got up there and played right-handed. I guess I'm curious, though, thinking about, because you mentioned the kit, you know, nobody's going to want to rearrange the kit for you, you know, and if you showed up at a jam session. But on your own kit, in terms of the configuration, is it is it a straight, standard, left-handed setup, or do you do some sort of an interesting hybrid configuration? No, it's it's pretty much a left, a right-handed drum set totally flipped yeah. around. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's funny because you know you you've played of course with with Jeff Lorber and and Jimmy Haslip and you and Jimmy are really close friends and and uh, you know and since you know you're left-handed and he plays the same way, <laughs> yes. you guys must have some interesting conversations, don't you? <laughs> like, I want one of his bases. One day I'm going to get one of his bases because I mm-hmm. mean, I've played his bass and it's set up. It it it's so perfect. I mean, and really? yeah, like. Like I love his bass because it's like like the way he has it set up is totally mm-hmm. how I would have a bass set up. Like my I have a five string fender here and mm-hmm. I mean it's set up just like Jimmy's bass. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I set it up like that. He plays left, but doesn't he doesn't he basically turn a right handed bass basically upside down and he plays the strings in reverse? Isn't that yes. how he yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. And they, but you, that's comfortable for you too. You like that? That's what I do because you know. Yeah. As a kid, I didn't. Well, there weren't a lot of 
left-handed instruments around back in the uh, 70s and the late 70s and early 80s. So, I mean, we just, I just flipped it over. I don't even know how that happened, <laughs> to tell you the <laughs> truth. But but that's how how I ended up playing playing bass and guitar was just flip flipped over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's such a yeah. I've watched Jimmy play before, and it's it's interesting to watch him play. But yeah, that's that's really cool. Hey, I, we kind of touched on this earlier because you know you we've talked about a, a, other drummers who have influenced you and, and shaped your style. But I know there's there's probably a bunch in that group. But can you just choose like three off the top of your head and tell us what it was about their style and sound that really that really grabbed you? Well, the major cat was Billy Cobham. Yeah, yeah. And Billy I loved because uh, the way his drums sound and the power, like Mm -hmm. his power was unbelievable. And then as I started playing more and more, Vinnie Kalayuta, he was just so slick. He, like no one can solo like him. No, (laughs) he's amazing. And then um, when I got, to see Dennis Chambers play, he just took me in terms of his power to Billy. And then from playing with Mike Stern, when I got to hang out with Dave Weckl, I mean, I just fell in love with his, like his playing is really clean and slick, but slick in a different way than Vinny or Billy or Dennis. I mean, like, He's very accurate. He's greasy when he wants to be. I mean, like Dave, to me, like Dave and Vinny and Dennis, they they can do whatever they want on a drum set. Yeah, well, all three of those guys are in- incredible. I, we've had Dave Weckl on, on the show yeah. before. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Vinny's one of my favorite drummers as well. Yeah. You know, have you ever, there's a band called Charisma. Um, it was... Uh, David Garfield. <laughs> it was David Garfield. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, brain, brain yeah. Right there. David Garfield's band, and he had Neil Steubenhouse and uh, Vinnie Caliuta and. Uh, to me, Dave, Dennis, and Vinny always perplex me when I see them play. They, mm-hmm. they, they have something um, in my eyes and ears. They have something that always surprises me every time I see them play. And it, mm-hmm. and it just makes me want to go home and practice because, <laughs> I mean, I just want to be as good as them and have the kind of vocabulary that they have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, because we always have comments of, oh, we love this drummer. He's great. And this, another drummer, they're great. But hearing your words as a drummer, as a top drummer, and you're and you're talking about your observations of, like for instance, Vinny or whatever. And hearing your comments on that really intrigued me because you're listening to something maybe totally different than your typical person is. The, the nuances. Give me an example. What type of thing? One thing that just makes you say, "Wow, did I, did you hear that? You know, what did he do? You know." Well, Vinny, I remember one time I saw him in Germany, and I'm standing like right off the side of the stage watching him play. Mm-hmm. And I was right by his floor tom-tom on that side. 
and he was doing a drum fill going around the kit and he was playing a 16th notes all the way until he got to the last floor tom and wow. uh he did four 16th notes on the snare four 16th notes on the first time second time first floor time and then when he got uh -huh. to the last floor time he yeah. he played a five stroke wow <laughs> jeez wow it's unbelievable it doesn't seem possible does it yeah it was like digga 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 da boom <laughs> and i don't know if anybody else caught that but i looked at him and i let him know that i caught it and <laughs> and like he just gave me this little smirk you know <laughs> watch and learn watch and learn young one <laughs> and and dennis i saw dennis uh he was playing with david sanborn mm -hmm. and this was years ago and he took a solo where he started on the e as far as 16th notes with one e anna so he started mm -hmm. He played the downbeat on the second 16th note of the bar. So that was one. And I don't know how the band held on, but they did. And wow. he played the entire, his entire drum solo was over a vamp. And he, he, he started on the second 16th note of beat one. Wow. And... <laughs> I mean, like it was just incredible. Wow! It was just incredible. I mean, you're, t you're talking about incredibly technical type of drumming here. Yes, yes. Well, I think it's incredible that you picked that up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you must have really studied. You know, studied that 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 section, and and like you caught the you know the 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 thing with Vinny. Hey, Lionel, you've um, you've been playing with Spyro Gyro since 2015, I believe, and, and that's when Lee Pearson was, uh, you know, he left and, and you took over. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about how, you know, during your tenure with the, with the band, you know, how did the door open with, with Jay and, and uh, to take over the drumming? How did that happen? Well, I knew uh, Julio F uh, Fernandez because we, mm -hmm. we used to always end up on sessions here and there in New York. And Jay, I knew Jay from just seeing the band around on tour and stuff like that. And um, Chuck Loeb and I were really good friends. So when mm -hmm. when they were looking for a drummer, uh, Jay, I think Jay contacted Chuck and was asking Chuck about drummers. And Chuck gave him my number. Mm. And and at first, I had subbed for Lee. Like Lee couldn't make the gig. Um, like he couldn't make a couple of gigs, and and I subbed for him, and uh, that's how I started playing with them. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, being that you know, being that Spyro Jerry has such a a long history and just a massive discography. I mean, you must have been pretty familiar with their work, uh, and if you weren't. Um, well, let me ask you this. How much of the music were you really familiar with? I mean, you had already uh, sat in for Lee. Um, were there, when you got into the band, 
Uh, did Jay do an, any additional guidance, that type of thing for you? Or no. how did that happen? <laughs> no, wow. no. No, those, no. No, no, like those guys, I mean, they've been playing together so long. So it's, it is like walking into a family. Yeah. Yeah. And like they've been together for so long that you just have to shut up and pay attention. <laughs> what I learned years ago was that my motivation uh, for playing music is to have fun. Like I'll do mm -hmm. whatever I have to do so that when I walk in the door, I could just enjoy the situation. So when I first subbed for Lee, I learned all the music dead cold. That way, when I walk in the door, the last thing I have to worry about is the music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just knew everything and it made it easier. It just made it easy for everybody. And I think when I first subbed for Lee, I think that might have been what made them offer me the gig when Lee finally left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, yeah. and like the crazy thing, <laughs> the first, I think, it was either the first or the second time I had subbed for Lee was at the Hamilton, uh, that, that club in D.C., and it was being recorded. And no one even told me that it was being recorded. And I was, <laughs> I was so glad that I knew the music <laughs> yeah. that well because yeah. it was only, I think it was when we got there at the club for sound check that they said, oh yeah, you know, this is going to be recorded. I think it was for Sirius Radio. Uh -huh. And I was furious that oh. no one said anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't let them know, but yeah. but I was furious. I was like, how could you not tell me? <laughs> <laughs> but Surprise. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it kind of maybe goes back to what you said earlier about those guys have been playing together so long that to them it was just another gig, and yeah. you know at this time it was going to be recorded, and yes, and they tr probably had trust and faith in you, so you know I guess maybe it, they, it was a, it, kind of an afterthought, you know? <laughs> oh, it totally was an af afterthought for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Well, hey Lionel, back in 2019, Spyro Gyra released an album that you performed on called Vinyl Tap, and this album contained a bunch of uh, covers, really cool covers that, you know, in a style that only Spyro Gyra could do. And um, I'm going to play one of the tracks from the album. Uh, it was the last track on the album, and it's Carry On, the incredible Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young track. And, of course, uh, David Crosby left us this past week, and I thought maybe it would be a, a cool opportunity to play this track in tribute to him. This is Spyro Gyra's version of Carry On from their 2019 album Vinyl Tap, and our guest today, Lionel Cordu, on Inside Music Cast.
Well, we, we brought up Jeff Lorber's name a little bit ago, and Eddie and I actually both communicated with him this past week, and mm-hmm. we told him that um, we were going to be uh, interviewing uh, you today. And he said, uh, he goes, he goes, oh, man, he said, I love Lionel. He said, uh, he's one of my favorite drummers ever. He plays with a ton of sensitivity, finesse, power, and uh, when needed, and, and he's an excellent soloist. So that was a quote. <laughs> from from Jeff and and he also said oh and he's a great guy too <laughs> yeah and I guess you know he he also mentioned that if you know if you weren't involved with Spyro Gyro that you two would be you know probably playing more together no you'd doubt. be backing him up probably a little more but tell us about your relationship with Jeff and and um, and you know your experiences working with him yeah well I first met Jeff years ago uh, I was playing with special effects with uh, Kieli Minucci that's right. And uh, we did a week of this new club in New York called The Five Spot. It opened up. And uh, we did a week double build with Jeff Lorber. And and mm-hmm. Jeff is, he's kind of like a quiet guy in a weird kind of way. And I think I talked to him maybe two or three times that week, very little, but I knew his drummer, this drummer named Lan Richards. Lan Richards and mm-hmm. I used to play with Kurt Whalum. Okay. Yep. And um, so so I was hanging with Lan and I got to meet Jeff. But years later, years later, Skylar Deal, somehow, I don't know how, but Skylar told me that um, that Jeff was looking for a drummer and he's coming to town and both Skyler and I played with Jeff. That's how I started playing with Jeff. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I mean, Jeff said, dude, you live in the wrong town. You need to be out in LA. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I had have family here in New York and, and, yeah. and I never yeah. left, but he always kept saying to me, man, you live in the wrong town. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny we yes. love jeff we love jeff yes. hey um in in 2021 just a couple of years ago um you and tom schumann recorded a uh a, a track and it was a one track to to tribute to throw a tribute to, at uh chick Corea. Yes. and uh and you guys collaborated and uh, you know right in the middle of covid so whose idea was this and uh it's a, it's a great track, and do you plan yeah. to do more of this uh, collaboration with Tom or or any other guys? Um, Tommy is a special soul. I really got to know Tommy quick because the way how Spyro does their sound checks, um, the drummer and the keyboardist, Tommy and I go early because, you know, with the drums, there's a lot of little things that, that need to be set up and tweaked. So, so Tommy and I and the sound person, we always go like an hour before uh, Jay, Scott and Julio. And so we always end up riding together, the three of us, Tommy, myself and the sound guy. So I got to know Tommy very fast through that. And we just connected. I mean, Tommy's a great guy he's an amazing player an amazing writer Mm -hmm. and and from day one i uh was drawn to his accuracy and and his love of music and um so so at soundcheck we would always 
play these grooves and and uh, that's how our musical dialogue started. And like basically we were just talking one day and he said, man, like send me a groove. And I sent him like, I don't know, like four minutes of a groove that, you know, went from an A section into a B section into a chorus. And, and he took it and went with it. And then like every now and then I would just send him a drum track and then he would put something to it and then we would talk about it and then we would change things here and there. And then that's how we started our collaborations. And, and the thing for chick was the first thing that we actually put out in, into the world. Yeah. Very cool. Very nicely done. Well, hey, Lionel, let's pause for a second and uh, let's play this track that you recorded in tribute to Chick Corea titled Armando's Run. And of course, this is with Tom Schumann and our guest today, Lionel Cordu on Inside Music Cast.
Eddie and I are both curious about what other projects that you've got going on now and maybe looking ahead to 2023. What What's on your calendar for the coming year? Well, I've been trying to write. It's hard for me uh, writing. I mean, I'm so critical because I've been surrounded by so many amazing musicians. So, like, I I just throw everything in the trash if if I don't. <laughs> but but um, don't do that. I, it's 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 so hard for me to present any material because I'm surrounded by so many great writers and musicians. So it's it's really hard for me to let go, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean like I couldn't imagine playing a song for Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Because Jeff is so prolific in his writing, you know? Well, you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta try it sometime. <laughs> You never know. You could have thrown away some masterpieces, oh, you know? <laughs> it's tough, man. It is so hard. It is so hard. I yeah. know, yeah. But in looking ahead to 2023, though, what else you got going on? Well, Spyro's starting to tour again. And I don't know uh-huh. if you guys realize, but Tom Schumann is leaving the band. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we have a new guy. His name is Chris. Oh, what's his last name? Uh we met with him. We played in December, and he sounds great. And he's really nervous about uh, jumping into the Spyro hot seat. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't imagine. Because it is a hot seat. <laughs> well, Tom's been there since the beginning. Yes. Eddie said he knew about this, but I didn't know. Well, what, what's Tom's reason? Why is he leaving? Tom and his wife are just ready for the next chapter in their life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to let anybody down. I mean, it was very hard for him to Yeah, I can imagine. to let go, you know, but Yeah. but he realized that at some point that this is what he needed to do, not It's just yeah. that he wanted to so much, but he needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And and I spoke to him about it and I said, "Bro, man, I'm never going to stop loving who you are and because we're not playing together bro i mean whatever you need if you want to talk or anything like that man give me a call like i'm here for you whether you're with the band or not it doesn't matter to me well we wish him well that's for sure oh man i can't wait to play with him we're playing um in florida those are going to be tommy's two last shows and wow and I'm going to record both of them and make sure that I have them so that I could send it to him and just have something like a bus his chops with. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wow. But the new guy, uh, his name is Chris Fisher, and he's from Maryland. Scott presented him to Spyro. And, Chris Fisher, um, great. Yeah, so... So it's going to be really interesting. We start with him in March. Gotcha. Yeah. Big shoes to fill, but I'm sure he's very competent. You know? Oh, yeah. to- totally. Because my brother is a keyboardist and my brother loves Tommy. And I was yeah. talking to my mm-hmm. brother yesterday and he was like, man, this guy is going to have big shoes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but, you know, it's a journey. And I think Chris is... Uh, 
once he does a couple of shows, I think he'll realize where his chair is, you know? Yeah. 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 He'll be part of a new family. Yes. Yeah. You know? Just like you said, you know? So. Yeah. It's good. Well, this has been great, uh, Lionel. I'm, I'm glad uh, we finally got a chance to, to get this scheduled and talk to you and mm-hmm. uh, learned a lot today. And I appreciate the time you've given us and all the wonderful stories uh, of your career. This has been great. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, you don't know how much I appreciate this. Thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're very much welcome. Happy New Year, and hey, we'll uh, we'll see you on the road somewhere, and let's keep in touch, okay? All right, guys. Thank you so much. All right. All right take care, Lionel. All Talk right. to you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Special thanks to Lionel Cordu for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We also want to thank our Inside Music Cast correspondents for their support and dedication, including Brian Pearson in Chicago, Kim Riley in South Florida, Scott Gross in Tampa, Mikhail Ingstrom in Stockholm, Scott Sheriff in Nashville, Don Brightup in Los Angeles, Loretta Sassaman in Seattle, Yinka Oyelese in New Jersey, and Arnaud Legere in Paris. Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, masks, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thank you for your support of Inside MusicCast.